a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking about parenting as an exhausted parent, how to not lose your cool with your kids, and how to not try to control your kids. To have this conversation, I was speaking with Rachel Bailey. She is a parenting specialist who has been serving families for over a decade. Besides being a mother of two, she also has a master's degree in clinical psychology, a certification in positive discipline, and has provided services as an ADHD coach, in-home mentor, and therapist. It was really a fantastic conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, I know I'm going to go back and listen to it and take some notes because she had some amazing nuggets of information. Because honestly, I don't know any parent that when you talk to them, they're not saying they're exhausted. And sometimes we just get triggered and we don't know how to self-regulate ourselves and let our kids self-regulate. And all of these things are things that Rachel and I talked about. So I hope you enjoy that. Before Before we get to that conversation, just a few things to touch base on. I want to thank everyone that has left a rating and review recently. It has been a huge help in getting people to find the podcast. Also, our online classes. I'm so proud of how well the community has grown and how we've reached far beyond New York. It's amazing that when I go to look at the different registration forms, we have people from Washington State. We had someone from San Diego. I mean, this is on the West Coast still popping into classes. We have someone from London. I mean, it's just amazing that we've really grown our community and I'm so proud to be part of that. So if you haven't popped into a class, check out our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. You can also join our newsletter, find out about all the great things that we have to offer and the support we can support each other with through the community. Um, A reminder for our teacher trainees that the fall training, the early fall training is full. We have a wait list. I think I think yesterday is about eight people. We added another online teacher training for November and December. So if you are a yoga teacher, you want to dive into the world of pre and postnatal yoga, we got you covered. And please check that out again on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And if you're not ready to do a whole teacher training, check out my shorter online self guided courses, Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi, Teaching the Postnatal Students. I've got two of those. All right. I think I've gone on long enough. I'm so excited about all the things that we have to offer. So thanks for listening. Okay. We'll take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Rachel. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. 
Mosmo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Mosmo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Mosmo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Mosmo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Mosmo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm really excited to speak with you. I am glad to be here, and I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. All right. So the topic that you reached out to speak about really resonated with me because I don't know any parent that has not been exhausted. I love the idea of parenting as an exhausted parent. I feel like every time I encounter someone, all we talk about is how tired we are. So it's a great topic. I think it's really going to resonate with the community. But before we dive into that and really investigate that, can you tell me a little bit about you and how you get started in the parenting world? Sure. So I actually ended up in the parenting world sort of unintentionally. I, When I decided to go back to graduate school, my goal was to become a neuropsychologist, and I was well on my way to doing that. But I ended up getting pregnant along the way. And at the time, I was working, and I was in school, and I realized I couldn't also raise children. So I ended up stopping my neuropsychology program or my, my studies to get there. And what I did instead at that point was I was working mostly with kids and with teens. I was an ADHD coach. I was a therapist. And I was working with kids and teens and getting really good results, but parents kept coming up to me and they would say, Rachel, I need to know what to do to handle situations when you're not there. So how do I get my kids to get their shoes on or do their homework or go to sleep and stay in their beds? You know, the really practical things that we face on a day-to-day basis. And I realized that at least when I started, there weren't many people offering these practical tips. So I started about nine years ago working with parents. And ever since, it's really my mission to help parents learn the, the really practical strategies for how to feel more in control as a parent, how we can get through this thing with a little less strife. I absolutely need this myself. I feel like it's always a battle in my house. It's time for camp. And even though I give the warnings, 10 minutes, five minutes, it's still as soon as they actually have to pull the trigger and get shoes on and put sunblock on, it is just every morning. And so one, it makes me feel a little bit better to hear we're not the only ones that are facing this, but two, it's also nice to know there are strategies and I'm excited to learn them. And especially when at this time, when we're all kind of living on top of another. It's just, it is exhausting being a parent 24 seven. So yeah. So this may sound like a bit of a ridiculous question, but when are parents not exhausted? (laughs) Because between newborn and grade school, there's just, and I'm sure more because I haven't hit that yet, but it just feels like there's so much to juggle. There's the physical demands, the emotional demands of raising kids. When are parents not exhausted? Yeah, so I think most parents are, but there are certainly parents who are not. And there's a difference between the parents who are and the parents who are not. And it really comes down to what we expect of ourselves, what we choose to do, how we think about things. And I will say that I just want to describe this as a uh, sort of like if you think about a bank account, there with a bank account, you have withdrawals and deposits. And with a bank account, if you make more withdrawals than deposits, bad things happen. And that's basically what we do to ourselves as parents. 
we are making more withdrawals. We're making more demands on ourselves. We're expecting us to do more. And there are other things I'm going to talk about as we go through this that are all examples of withdrawals. And the problem is we're not making enough deposits. The withdrawals in themselves as parents are going to happen. Things are going to deplete our energy. We're going to be tired. But what we don't stop to think about is we also need to make deposits. And very honestly, I also work with parents to make fewer withdrawals. But overall, if your ratio is on the side of deposits, you're not going to be exhausted. And again, that doesn't mean you're not doing the things you need to do. It just means you're offsetting those withdrawals by also giving yourself some deposits. All right. So I'm gonna, I love your language, the deposits. Can you give me some examples of ways to deposit into your own self? Bank. Yes, absolutely. So I can give you examples of deposits and also how we reduce the withdrawals because they're both. But deposits, a lot of people think of deposits like, um, you know, time with friends or a massage or, you know, some sort of self-care. And I think that's super important. But what I actually do is differentiate self-care from self-treatment. And self-care are the things we do every once in a while. Self-treatment is actually how we treat ourselves on a minute-to-minute, day-to-day basis. And what I've always said, too, is all the self-care in the world won't work if you don't treat yourself well. And honestly, the way we treat ourselves is usually what leads to so many withdrawals. So just for an example, what are we expecting ourselves to do? Are we expecting ourselves? I have some of my clients write down all the tasks they want themselves to do because they have to be a good wife a good mom, a good um, you know, parent of a child in grade school, a good friend. And I actually have them list their expectations and, and their to-do list. And I say, can you actually fit that into your day? And if you can't, what happens is your brain actually, believe it or not, goes into fight or flight. And that's a huge withdrawal. Anytime we sense a threat, that is a huge withdrawal and it takes a lot of energy. So to summarize all that is to say that we treat ourselves in ways that actually put us into a threat stress mode. And that take so much energy. And that is what I really think exhausts us. Mm, I can relate to that. And I actually really like, I took a little note, the difference between self-care and self-treatment because I recognize like I give myself, and I'm going to put in quotes, like self-care, like I I exercise every day and and that's my replenishing, but that may not also be self-treatment. So correct. Yeah. a lot of people do do the self-care and they say it's not enough. So I used to hear all the time, you know, I, parents would say, I went away with my girlfriends and I had a great weekend and I came back and I was really calm for like two hours. And then after two hours, I was right back to feeling, you know, really tense. And that's because the way we go through our day, again, we're just withdrawing from ourselves. We expect too much. We try to control things that are out of our control. We think about things in a way that's depleting. And that the daily piece of this is really what leads to an exhausted parent versus not. Well, let's also, you just said something kind of grabbed my ear, control things that are out of uh, our control. Yes. Um, so, Big one. I'm like, what? I'm almost ignoring the questions that I wrote and I'm sketching down some other ones because that is something that I think a lot of parents, we struggle with. Like, I want my kids to have autonomy and to take agency over you know, their choices, but at the same time, maybe I'm too much of a control freak, but yeah. I so let's go there. Take yeah, the let's go there because this is something I can relate to. I'm a total control freak. Um, and what happens, I'm going to get into a little brain science because remember, um, I love neuropsychology. What happens is we try to control things that are out of our control. For example, our kids' behavior. We want our kids to pick up after themselves. So we want them to do their homework and not, not complain. So people will come to me and say, how do I, these are the red flags for me. 
How do I make my kids or get my kids to? Those are the red flags. You're trying to control something that's out of your control. And here's what happens in the brain when we do that, is that our brain, when we try to control something that we can't, again, it goes into fight or flight. We actually are in a stress response. And when we are in a stress response in our fight or flight response, our brain shuts down the part of the brain that allows us to think about things rationally, to find solutions, to act consistently with our values. So we get caught in this cycle of trying to control something we can't. We get frustrated. We go into the fight or flight response, and then we try to control it more. And if we're trying to control our kids, then they also have a need for control. So they try to get control back. Maybe they're negotiating. Oh my God, so much. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And we get into this cycle that I call the cycle of yuck. And yuck is a term I just basically use to describe when when there's discomfort of of some type. So we get into this cycle. We try to control our kids. They don't like being controlled. They try to control back. It puts us deeper into yuck or fight or flight. And we get into this cycle. Yes. <laughs> All right. So two questions are stemming from that. One is at what age are we dealing with this? Like, cause a lot of my listeners have little littles and yes. then, but some also have, you know, some older, uh, elementary. So let's look at that situation, but we do need to get the kids to do the homework. Like, so we sure do, <laughs> so- we sure do, but we can't make them. So what we can do, I teach a lot about how do you influence a child without making them? And what's interesting is we have way more influence influence over a child if we control our own response. We lose influence when we do become anxious, when we too be, do become judgmental, when we do become angry. Angry, I was going to say. Yes, that. exactly. Anger. Yes, and I help a lot of people with anger. And just for the record, I'm an angry person. Like, I have a short temper, so I'm not, I'm not coming from a place of judgment in any way. I teach the tools that I use every single day. So when we, though, focus on, instead of how do we make them, when we focus on one of the, when I teach about discipline, I teach about, we can teach our kids tools to do what they're supposed to do. When we teach them the tools and we actually focus on our own energy, they are so much more likely to do what we ask than when we try to make them. When kids have the tools to do what they're supposed to do, like if we go back to your example of getting your kids out of the house, they're actually missing some tools there. But if we give them the tools and we actually stay in a state where we're not trying to control them and we control our own regulation, they do what they're supposed to do. They really do. It's like magic. Let's use that. Let's break that down because whether it's a elementary school kid or a toddler or in a preschool, I remember we lived when my son was in preschool, we lived a block away from his preschool and it was still a struggle. Yes. Yeah. So I think this getting out of the house is kind of yes. a universal thing. So let's break that down. I love it. I definitely want to get into that. And it's not as much right now. I know because of what's home and they're like, I wish I were getting out of the house and putting my kids somewhere, but it will come back. That time will come back. Right. Um, but yeah, one of the things, there are two, two big reasons that I want to talk about why kids struggle to get out of the house. Well, there are three, actually. One is that their sense of time is different from ours. We are time-oriented. They are task-oriented. So when we ask them to leave and maybe they're in the middle of playing or doing something, they actually freak out because they're in the middle. They're engaged in a task. And they don't want to stop. They don't care what time it is. They don't care it's 9.05 and we need to get to preschool by 9.13. They don't care. They're task-oriented. So we ask them to end their task, and that gets they flip out when, when we ask them to end their task. We actually need to teach them how to end tasks. Otherwise, we're going to get a lot of resistance. The other piece is if they sense our anxiety, that actually kicks in their stress response, and they mm-hmm. shut down. 
So a lot of parents will say, when I get my kids, try to get my kids to speed up, they actually slow down. And that's real. They actually do because they're stressed because of your stress and a stress response is to slow down. So between the fact that they have trouble transitioning and they're stressed, you're not going to get them out of the house on time. Correct. (laughs) Correct. So I guess that leads to how do parents, especially exhausted parents, rise to the occasion of helping, of staying calm, of not getting triggered. That's my big thing. I get triggered. How do we stay calm, not triggered, create a peaceful transition when we still need to get them out of the house. You do. And and that's the thing. That's one of the reasons I love working with parents because I'm like, yeah, you do still have to get them out of the house. I'm totally on board with that. But if you actually work with their brains instead of against their brains, and this is what I talk about. This is how we have to parent if we're exhausted. We spend so much energy working against their brains. We say, okay, stop what you're doing. Let's get out of the house. That is completely working against their brains. But what we can do is proactively use some strategies. So knowing that they struggle to transition, what we need to realize is they need closure of a task before they transition. So let's say your child is playing with something and you say, okay, we're going to stop in 10 minutes and then we're going to stop in five minutes. That doesn't actually help them create that closure because at the end of the five minutes, they're still doing what they were going to do. So what we do is there are a couple of ways to deal with transitions, but one, one major one is you could say, okay, let's, uh, you're going to stop playing with your blocks after you've built this tower. And you give them a closure point. Instead of using the rhythm, the clock, you use the rhythm of, of the. So you can even say to them, and this is older kids, obviously. I know you have parents of youngers too, but you can say, "What is your stopping point?" And when they know what their stopping point is, they actually can stop. And then you know they even will wait for you to get ready to go. But what we do is we stop them because we want them to keep playing while we're getting ready. And we, if they, if we actually get them to create a, an endpoint, it's going to be much better. And we do this ahead of time. We don't even get triggered to begin with because we work, we're working with their brains. Mm-hmm. But even if you haven't done that stopping point, just saying to them, let's say they're in the middle of watching something and we have to leave, knowing that their brains need help transitioning, saying, hey, we have to go. But, oh, my gosh, I just noticed you were watching Daniel Tiger. Can you tell me what was happening in this episode? Tell me as we walk to the car. Mm-hmm. That's actually a transition strategy. So when we know how the brain works, and then that's what I teach parents is how does your kid, how do your children's brain work? When we know this, we use these strategies in the moment and they don't actually push back to begin with. Wow. I really, and so that what you mean by parenting, because I remember on some of the notes you sent me talking about parenting in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Parenting in the moment is basically parenting reactively. Once your child has done something wrong, we're reacting. That's parenting in the moment. And it okay. is exhausting and a complete waste of energy because you're dealing with your fight or flight response, your stress response. Uh-huh. You're dealing with their stress response. And it actually takes a while for human beings to get out of their stress response, for their fight or flight response to shut down and for them to calm down again. So it's exhausting and it's a waste of time. So what I teach parents is learn what's going on proactively, know these tools, and you have to do so much less parenting in the moment. All right. So I'm, I think I'm still a little fuzzy on the parenting in the moment. So it's me reacting as the parent to something my child did, which happens daily. And then, so I'm reacting, oh, you did that. No iPad. So that is, and then that creates strife. So (laughs) exactly. And just saying no iPad puts them into fight or flight. 
So then they're in fight or flight. And then what they do, one of the things that you have to understand about fight or flight is negative behavior comes out of this place. So they're in fight or flight. So then they become disrespectful and say, I hate you, or you can't tell me what to do. That's going to deepen you in fight or flight. I call this place yuck. Everyone knows my term is yuck. It puts you deeper into yuck. Your yuck response, because you're like, you can't talk to me like that, puts them deeper into yuck. And this is the the in-the-moment parenting that parents are coming to me with that is exhausting and ineffective. Okay, so I want to address that in two ways. One, strategies out of the yuck. I'm literally writing notes. My notes are literally, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go back to this later and be like, strategies out of the yuck. (laughs) Um, And then also, that's for parents, that's for kids that have that capacity to communicate. But what about for the little little ones that they're just getting agitated by the parents, be like, no, you can't do that or what do you know what I mean? Let me give you let me give you an example of like an infant because I'm sure some of your parents have have infants. So so the really this is one that I know gets a lot of parents into yuck. Their infant is um, in their high chair and they're about to feed them but the infant starts throwing things, throwing the fork, throwing the food, it's getting all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. And parents are like exhausted. So like, oh my God, now I have to clean that up. They lose their cool because then now that's just created more work. They have to clean up. They're exhausted. They raise their voice or their energy changes and an infant will sense that the energy changes that will put the infant into fight or flight or Mm -hmm. yuck. And then it's this whole big scene. Whereas if a parent just realizes, why is my child throwing things on the floor? They're throwing things on the floor actually because they are not engaged enough. They need engagement. They won't just sit there. They're no, they're, they're no longer like newborns. My brother, my brother calls the newborn the potted plant phase where they don't do anything. I got the but an infant is out of that phase. Like a little meatloaf yeah. just carrying around. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. They're out of that phase. You know, a six-month-old, a seven-month-old is out of that phase. They are throwing things. That's totally normal. When you understand this and you say, okay, while I'm getting their meal ready, I actually need to give them something to do, whether it's music or something to hold. Although something to hold, they're probably going to throw. That's totally normal. (laughs) I give them music. I sing to them. I ask them to, I ask my child to make noises, to mimic me. I say, boop, can you say boop? When we actually engage them, they don't do those things. So you know how their brain works. So you don't get into this whole, oh my gosh, they threw things. Now I'm upset. Now they're upset. And you don't create this cycle of yuck. Okay. So So. what about for the older child to get out of the cycle of yuck? So so proactively, you're going to reduce the cycle of yuck. So then are you asking me, like, what do you do once you're already in it? Yeah. Is that what you want to Yeah. So okay. you're already yucked. We're, yes. <laughs> we're fighting. We reacted poorly. We had triggers. The iPad's gone. And this could be, you know, I love that you gave a baby example, but this really could be toddler up to, I don't know how old, but the iPad's gone. They're upset. Oh, and you can't take it away. Blah, blah. It's big. It, we're, we're going downhill quickly. So <laughs> how do we get out of that? So here's what you have to know about yuck in the moment. Well, let me answer your question and then I'll tell you the why. Okay. That what you do in the moment is you actually stop focusing on what your child is doing and you actually calm yourself down. You regulate yourself because here's the way yuck works in the moment. In the moment, yuck follows like this rainbow shaped curve. Yuck gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually it reaches a peak and it comes down. And what you need to know is that when someone is on what I call this yuck curve, mm-hmm. they actually can't act better. Because if you remember, I mentioned this earlier, when someone's in yuck or in fight or flight, the fight or flight response shuts down the part of the brain that is mature and positive and makes good decisions. So what we try to do is get kids out of yuck and we can't, it's not going to happen. Once a hu- This is why in the moment parenting is inefficient. 
or any communication when someone's in yuck is inefficient. This is true of marriages too. When someone's in yuck, there's not that much you can do. You have to let them do what I call traveling the curve so they can re-access the, the rational part of their brain. Now, what happens to kids is that if we are yelling at them and we're angry with them, it only increases the amount of time they're going to be in yuck because when they're in yuck, their brain is like scanning the environment to say, am I safe? Can I get out of this place of fight or flight? If we're yelling at them and telling them all the reasons they're wrong, their brain isn't going to sense safety and they're going to stay in it for longer. So in the moment, long story short, you have to re-regulate yourself so that your child senses that there is safety and they will re-regulate themselves. Oh, this is That's so the great. bad news. All right. So I want to ask, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to hear how in the moment the parent re-regulates themselves because that's a hard task. I Mentally, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, but the how. So we're going to take a quick break. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. So you painted a very clear picture that I think a lot of us can relate to. I love the idea of the rainbow. I love coming down the other side. I hear you that nothing in the moment's good, kind of like they're having like a little mosh pit in their brain. They're the child, like no, no, no real rhythms going on. And the parent has to regulate themselves for the child to come down the other side of the rainbow. How, how do we do that? Okay. I'm going to tell you, but I'm also going to say it's simple, but not easy. So I actually teach parents about self-treatment because it's going to prevent you from getting so triggered and other ways to get to prevent you from getting triggered. But I'm going to tell you what this looks like. The way human beings regulate is first of all, anyone who meditates is going to do this more easily, more naturally, Okay. because ultimately what we have to do is recognize we're about to lose our cool and our body always sends us signals 
that were in fight or flight or about to go into fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So we have to be aware that we're about to lose our cool, which is a skill in itself that I teach parents how to do. And once we realize it, we have to pause and release that energy in a healthier way. So for example, my, I, I refuse to believe that I had a signal. I was like, when I first heard this, I was like, ah, I don't have a signal. I just go from zero to 60, you know, immediately. But what I eventually learned and it took me like two months to figure this out is my face gets hot. Mm. So what I have to do. And so for other people, it's like their stomach tenses or their shoulders tense, or they grit their teeth or their heart starts beating fast. That's a signal that you're about to do something that you're going to regret. And it can be a quick so what, signal. So for those listening, cause I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I'm like, Oh, I get there. It's like yes. boiling in my chest and then I explode, but I do yes. feel the boiling. Well, you're ahead of most parents. When I actually start with parents, about 80% of them have no idea what their signal is. So good for you. <laughs> so what you want to do is recognize the boiling and see a big red stop sign. As soon as you feel the boiling stop, because okay, whatever you do, <laughs> This is, this is why the mindful, the meditation helps a lot. Very honestly, and I'm not a meditator. I know I should be, but I'm not. This is practice. This is over and over seeing it and saying, Oh, I messed up today. I messed up. I messed up. And eventually what happens is you're going to start to feel that and say, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do now is, and then what you do need to do is find another release of energy. What you're really supposed to do is just let the feeling sort of pass. I can't do that. So what I teach parents is, okay, I'm going to take all that energy that I feel inside because it's like a rush. It's like a wave of anger or frustration, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to put it in something other than my child. So this could be anything from moving your body. So when you feel the the boiling, just saying, okay, I'm going to find the furthest wall in the house and just walk back and forth four times. And ultimately what your goal is here is to teach your brain that you're safe. Your brain thinks there's a threat to your life. There isn't. And so when you take deep breaths or you move, or what I tend to do is I use a mental exercise because I want to refocus back on me and not on my kids because my kids are making me angry. Mm -hmm. I actually go through the alphabet, skipping a letter. So I go A, C, D, you know, A, C, E, F, G. That's what I do because I'm a very cognitive person, but people need to find what works for them. But ultimately you're doing some action to release this energy and show your brain that you're safe. And here's the irony is that if we can't regulate ourselves when things aren't going our way, how can we expect our kids to regulate themselves when things aren't going their way? Right. So we have to learn how to do this, but I'm not that good at this. I do this about 70% of the time. The other 30, I stink at it. So when, that's the <laughs> I truth. appreciate so your when, honesty. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I could get my kids on here. They would tell you that. So what I do is I say, okay, Rachel, if you keep losing your cool, you've got to back up and figure out why are you losing your cool? What's going on? How are you treating yourself? Why are you getting so triggered in the first place? Because I don't want to have to rely on going through the alphabet, doing every other letter. It's not ultimately going to be effective. I use that when I have to, but again, not using it well all the time. I also realize I'm going to make mistakes as parents and I'm actually not going to mess up my kids if I make mistakes. So that's kind of how we have to think about all this. This is really helpful. So I still have some more questions, but I'm wondering, I like that you said you're not going to mess up your kids because I feel like, oh my gosh, there is plenty there. Um, How do we approach them when we do lose our cool? And again, from, you know, a baby may not... understand as much. So let's kind of look at that whole spectrum. We messed up. We lost our cool. We yelled at them. They cried. Everyone cried from baby to toddler to, you know, young, uh, elementary. 
I have an awesome strategy, although this one does work better with older kids, but I will tell you how to tailor it to younger kids. Okay. So let me tell you the strategy. And then as I go through it, I'll say, this is what you do with the younger kids. So this is a strategy I call connect and teach, and it actually helps teach emotional regulation to kids, which is ultimately what we want. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you do when you messed up and gosh, I'm really good at this because I mess up a lot. So I've done this a lot with my kids. First strategy, first step is to go back and say to your kids, Hey, when I yelled at you earlier, what was that like for you? And with older kids, they're very likely going to be able to tell you what that was like. And I will tell you, you have to prepare yourself for hearing things that are going to make you feel bad, but it's important to let kids release that. It's important. You'll see why in a moment. Now with a younger child, with a toddler, they're not gonna be able to tell you what it was like for them, but you can actually speak for them. You can say to a toddler, when I yelled at you, that made you pretty sad. That made, that might've made you feel bad. And that's actually good to do with a toddler because you want to start to teach the language of emotion. So you can even say um, that hurt your feelings. So that's how you do it with a younger child. Mm -hmm. So step one is what was that like for you? Step two is, and this is again for an older child, what would you have liked me as a parent to do differently? So you are actually allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing them to tell you what you should have done. And the reason this works really well is because it allows your child to actually learn the lesson of emotional regulation without feeling like they're in trouble. So they can, they'll love to tell you what to do. Mommy, you should have taken five deep breaths. You should have, you know, done some jumping jacks. So it's actually teaching them the lesson of what to do when you're upset. And it also, because you're being vulnerable is going to lead you to the last, lead them to the last step, which I'm about to tell you. And it allows them to be vulnerable. But let me just tell you this step. What you do with a toddler is instead of saying, what would you have liked me to do? What you'll do with the toddlers, you'll say, here's what I should have done instead. So you're really just talking to them instead mm -hmm. of asking their opinion. And the last step is probably parents' favorite, which is what would you do different? What could you have done differently? So you're asking a child to accept responsibility for what they did wrong. And if you have done the first two steps, they will open up in the third one because you've basically allowed yourself to be vulnerable. They will allow themselves to be vulnerable. So that's when they say things like, I should have listened to you the first time, or um, I know that I'm not supposed to sneak a snack. And they'll actually acknowledge what they did wrong, which is what a lot of us want them to do. But they won't do that unless you've already opened yourself up. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> Actually, like, I'm going to be re-listening to this several times and taking even <laughs> more notes. Now, this is really, really helpful, especially instead of saying, I'm sorry, you know, and kind of letting that just be it, like to really investigate and learn from each other so they feel safe. Because I can imagine yes. if there's continuous explosions, the child's going to start to not feel safe, which is not what we want at all. So Correct. This is, I actually just yeah. did a podcast episode on that, that when we, when we do react in a way that's always teaching them a lesson or telling them how they should have acted and what they did wrong, they do start to see us as a person who is not safe. Yeah. We certainly then, don't want that. Yeah. And then, yeah, because we approach them, even just to ask them something simple, like get your shoes on and they will immediately go into fight or flight. If we approach them as someone who's not safe. Absolutely. All right. So maybe, maybe you kind of already answered this and I didn't totally hear it, but if they have to go down the other side of the rainbow of anger, yes. and then again, that can be from toddler to older, um, yes. how do we create a space for them to self-regulate? Cause I know that's hard for some kids to yes. get to the other side. If so, the parent we have, we're, we're counting our alphabet, we're breathing, we're pacing, we're finally grounding ourselves, but the child's could still be in that 
hectic space. I mean, I remember the toddler stage and some awesome tantrums. Yes. Um, so yep. <laughs> how yeah. do we help if we've gotten ourselves calm, how do we help them self-regulate? So first of all, you cannot do it in the moment. That's the problem. We try to get them to regulate in the moment. And uh, once they're on that curve, it's too late. So they're already waited out. We wait it out. However, there are a couple of other things in addition to waiting it out. But yes, look, but the, the bottom line is you wait it out. But you can also proactively teach them how to handle that yuck in a healthier way. Because a lot of parents will say to me, wait it out, but they're throwing things and they're being mean to their brother or sister. Yeah. This is where we, again, proactively teach how do you regulate in a healthy way. So just like we have strategies, we teach them strategies. And the key to teaching kids strategies is doing this and practicing it during times of non-yuck. If you don't practice it, what happens when any human is in the stress response is they default to the behavior that A, feels the best, and B, they've done over and over in the past. Mm. So we teach them these new skills. Maybe we teach them deep breathing, or we teach them to move their body, or we teach them their skills. In the moment, they're going to default to all the mean things they did before because it feels good and because they've done it so many times. If we don't actually make this new behavior automatic, they will default to the old one. So we have to teach them and practice this proactively. But it's actually not as hard as you think. Um, a lot of a lot of um, families go through this actually by having the child. I, I suggest having the child coach the parent, especially if your child is like three and above, saying, hey, I'm going to work on not yelling so much. Can you remind me what I should do? And have the, the child coach the parent. And kids like to do that. And there are lots of ways actually you can do this, but kids like to do that and they can they will practice this. Okay. And then what about for the younger ones? Do, how do we help them when they're having their tantrums? Or, so here's, yeah. Yeah. here's what I would say about the younger ones is that we have to, and I get, I always say, if I'm speaking this in, in public, when I'm around people, I say, put away your rotten tomatoes and your rotten eggs. Cause you're not going to like what I have to say, but this is one <laughs> of the most powerful things I can tell a parent is that kids have emotions and we actually don't need to get triggered by it, especially younger kids' emotions, especially the, to- the, the infants, the toddlers, they have feelings and they release their feelings. They don't have a great ability to regulate their emotions. So their, their freakouts are actually normal. And here's what happens when we start to see their release, especially the really young ones, older, you know, we can help them do things. But with the really young ones, it's actually normal behavior. What happens though is we see that behavior as a threat And so we go into fight or flight, and then that's when we get our yuck responses and it makes it worse. When we actually see that this is natural, this is normal, we don't get sucked in and their tantrums end much more quickly. Because when they're in their tantrum, remember, they're scanning the environment to say, is it safe? Is there an adult here who can handle my feelings? That's how they learn to handle their feelings. We need to not get sucked into that. Because again, I will say this, we want to teach our kids that when things don't go their way, they need to stay calm. We need to stay calm when things don't go our way. So it really is such a mindset shift when it comes to emotions. And if you're an exhausted parent, getting sucked in every single time your child has a tantrum, which is normal behavior, getting sucked in every time is going to make you more exhausted. Whereas if you can say, this is normal, I'm going to let them travel the curve and then it's going to be over, you will not waste energy. 
That I'm going to absolutely try that. And I think a lot of other parents might hear that and, and think the same thing. Let them travel the curve. Remind ourselves this. Remember, ever since my son was three weeks, I've been using the mantra, this too shall pass when there yes. is some sort of just really challenging moment because it eventually does. So kind of let them go. But more importantly for the parent is don't waste our energy fighting back. We regulate ourselves. That can, I'm just trying to summarize this in my head, that can even set an example and then we don't keep escalating further and further. Is that sounding 100%. right? And not, yes. And not only are you, are you setting an example, but you're actually sharing your emotional regulation with them. We're learning coping skills. You are, but it's even more than that, believe it or not. In the moment, there we have things called mirror neurons. They sense your energy. And kids don't have an emotional regulatory system that's developed. So you're actually sharing your calm, literally. You're not just modeling you are literally sharing your calm with them. Their brain feels that calm and it calms them down. Okay. So you're doing way more than modeling. Yeah. I think it's, I I like how it sounds. I think it's going to take a lot of work um, (laughs) to do this, but I feel like you've definitely given some, some solid steps, but it definitely, I think I'm going to have to sit and, and process this. We're going to take a super, is there anything else before we take a break? Is there anything else about this that I didn't ask that you're like, Deb, we need just to touch on this. Or do you think we got a lot of it? I think we got it. I will just say to your last comment that it takes a lot of work. It actually doesn't take energy. It just takes a mindset shift. I've worked with parents who actually made the shift and they just started seeing the behavior as normal. It took no time, no energy. It's just when the shift happens. So it'll be a lot of work if you resist. That's no, what it's I don't want to resist. I just have to process like, okay, when it's usually my son, when he triggers, I can't get triggered. I have to just stay calm. I have to find yes. my my grounded space. So I think it just takes a, a beat of what is that going to be as le- at least I feel like I, c- I can feel right before I right before I burst. Um, yes. And, and if you're taking care of yourself proactively, this is easy. It's when you're in a huge place of yuck in your life that this is really, really hard. That's, that's when it's hard for right. everybody. Yeah. And I think right now in the middle of pandemic, many of us are in a bit of a, in a bit of a yes. yuck. <laughs> yes. Are you finding more people are reaching out right now because of the constant togetherness and and the itchiness to kind of expand, but yet we can't. 100%. And not only that, but more and more, I'm talking about, okay, how the, the really practical stuff, how do you get time away from your child? Because that's what you need right now. So I'm not even talking about tantrums. I'm like, okay, first things first, you need time to yourself. So I'm actually doing a lot of trainings and individual coaching on how do you actually find time to yourself? Cause that's the primary, that's the, the main need we all have right now. It really is. My gosh, yeah. the other day, I don't know, the other day, a couple months ago from Mother's Day, my husband's like, what do you want? I'm like, I want to take a shower without anyone bothering yeah. me. Like literally yes. that was my answer. I'm like, I just want to shower by myself without someone sticking their head and asking a question. This has been so helpful. Okay. We're gonna take another break, but when we come back, if you, you've already offered a ton, but if there's one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents. Okay. We'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so you're a mother yourself. You've supported parents for a long time. If there's one golden piece of advice you can offer, what would it be? You know, I hate it because my advice is such a cliche and I feel like people have heard it a million times, but I really feel like the the easy button for parenting comes down to how we treat ourselves on a daily basis. And again, not just self-care, but how are we treating ourselves? If I find that when parents are really struggling, I have to go back to that place. How, what are you expecting of yourself? What are you trying to control? You know, um, what are the thoughts you're thinking? That's really what it comes down to, that self-treatment. That's really, I like that. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to ruminate on that a bit and be like, how can I find not just still self-care, but really the self-treatment. So your work really is fantastic. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Where can people find your work? So I have my own podcast, which is called Your Parenting Long Game. And I have a Facebook community that goes with it. I'm in there a lot. I'm doing other, I'm offering even extra behind the scenes and tips. That that group is called Your Parenting Long Game Facebook group. And then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as Rachel Bailey Parenting. And on my website, I actually have some free resources as well. So my website is rachel-bailey.com. And there's some free resources that go even deeper into how all of what we talked about relates to specific behaviors in kids. I will make sure all of that's in the show notes. Wow. I got so much out of this. I hope the community did too. You really had some nuggets of information. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.